0: Tech Talk with Jess Kelly. With VMware. Free your employees to work more securely from anywhere. Visit exertis.ie forward slash VMware. This is News Talk.
1: Welcome to Tech Talk, Jess Kelly with you here on News Talk. Coming up over the next hour, the CEO of Three Ireland will join us to talk about all-you-can-eat data, the impact of 5G and keeping things affordable. Derek Riley of Nevo.ie will bust some myths around electric vehicles and we'll hear how Heineken is going greener at this year's Electric Picnic. As always, you can email the show techtalk at Newstalk.com or you'll find me on Twitter at Jess But first, 3 is Ireland's largest mobile network with around 3.3 million customers. The company arrived into Ireland 18 years ago and Robert Finnegan was employee number one. He's been the CEO ever since and I recently sat down with him alongside News Talk's Gavin McLaughlin for an in-depth chat. But we started by discussing how the network is still relatively young in the grand scheme of things.
2: You're right, Jess. I mean, it was 2004 when we really started off. And I always remember getting a call from uh, Canning Folk, who's the uh, CEO of C.K. Hutchison, our, our parent company in Hong Kong. And he said, Robert, I'd like you to run this um, mobile communications company we've we've got in Ireland. And I said, great. I said, uh, sure, I'll do it. And uh, I must go into the office and meet uh, the staff. And he said, oh, no real need to do that. And I said, no, well, why? And he said, well, actually, there's nobody there. I said, oh, are they all out building the masts or are they out, you know in the stores? No, actually, you're the only employee. You're the first employee. So uh, it was a bit of a, a start-up, as you say. Um, we bought our licences off Comreg, and then we started to build out our business in terms of our network and our stores and our contact centre. Um, and we got to about 10% market share by 2014. And then we acquired O2 successfully, which took us to about 30% share. And now we're market leader with 40% share, best network in the country, best contact centre um, in, in the country as well not just in mobile but across all industries so we're delighted with that.
1: You mentioned the, the O2 takeover which I think was a lot of, one of the big shifts that a lot of people kind of sat up and went okay cool what is this change what does that mean for me and one of the big points and I don't know if it came at the same time was the all you can eat data how important was that to have as your point of difference to the from the other players that were in the Irish market?
2: Really really important I mean when we set out at first we said we wanted to be a data network yes of course we had to cover voice uh, Mm. for people. But we saw that the future was going to be about data as well. So if you take it at 2G technology, which is the really old technology, uh, which was around when we started off, is really about people to people, people talking to one another. 3G and 4G then went into uh, people accessing data, obviously as well as talking to one another. And we pioneered that. We, We were the first 3G network out there. We were the biggest, the fastest. And we introduced, as you say, all you can eat. And the reason for that was to attract uh, the younger um, group and uh, cohorts, which we've done very successfully. And of course, those that younger group has now grown up to be adults and they have their own children. Mm-hmm. And we're still very successful at that. And we're a data network. You know, we carry, we've got about 40% market share in the country, but we carry well over 50% of all the data on the mobile networks. So, you know, it's been it's been really good for us. We know how important it is for people to be able to access the internet uh, and uh, and use data. And that's what we pioneered.
3: Mm.
1: I was always intrigued, even when, you know, before I was doing this gig, hearing about the all you can eat data and all the rest. How can you do that from a business point of view? Because people were topping up their phone with 20 quid and getting all you can eat data. And then you had eejits like me paying 80 quid a month for a, a limit of five gigs a month in terms of data. And it never made sense to me.
2: And that's why we pioneered it. Because we said, look, we've got our network out and we've got plenty of capacity. So how do we attract people to use that capacity? And at the time, people were using limited amounts. Mm. But if you go back like 10 years People on average were using 250 terabits of data a week. Now that's 16,000 terabits of data a week. Yeah. So that's a 65-fold increase in 10 years. Now, if you if you take a, a like any factory, and our network and our data centres are like factories, they just process you know data or voice um, through them. If you've got to increase your factory to 64 times over 10 years, mm. what its size is now, that's huge. So every year we're increasing our data. Um, capacity about about 50% as people use more and more so while it looks very smooth on the surface that actually you know everything is great um, we are working really hard to make sure we meet the demands of customers using that data
3: mm-hmm.
4: Yeah and it's the key thing now isn't it and voice probably on the decline data is where it's at and the next generation of course is 5G now I'm going to stick my neck out here I am proclaiming 5G a flop according to Comreg's data as of Q1 we we'd only 500,000 odd plans here including uh, broadband 5G most people don't need 5G. 4G is perfectly fine for them. Gavin, you know what you remind me of?
2: Somebody who once said, we don't need mobile phones, we have landlines. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I wish people would put, would put in more landlines because it's great for radio stations, but please continue. <laughs> so I will come back in a year or two years' time and I'll say to you, Gavin, do you want to retract that statement? Because actually, uh, I think the evolution of 5G, you know, as I said at the start, 2G is about people-to-people communicating voice. 3G, 4G was about people, yes, talking to each other, but also people connecting to the internet. 5G is about fast, doing that faster, but also internet connecting to internet or things connecting to things. Uh, and I think we'll see the emergence of that over time. It's not going to be an immediate overnight yeah. everyone switches to it. And it's a bit like mobile broadband. When we introduced mobile broadband first, which mm-hmm. we did after the all-you-can-eat packages on voice, we were the first to bring mobile broadband to the country. And people said it'll never take off. Now it's huge on 4G. You know, I run all, down in Dunmore East, I run all of my internet connections for Sky, for everything we do during the pandemic, I work from home, three, 400 megabits per second using 5G. Yeah. So it's phenomenal. And I think 5G has a role to play in terms of the internet of things going forward, but but it's also yeah. got a huge role to play in fixed wireless access or home broadband. So where people cannot get fibre, 5G is phenomenal. Yeah.
4: And, and in manufacturing is the other industry where you can see it could be but very also useful. It's a
2: cheaper alternative to fibre in cities and in urban areas as well. So it can play a role in urban areas where you can have an alternative to fibre at better value. And it'll play a role yeah. in the rural areas where you can't get fibre, but you have this phenomenal um, alternative, which is a home broadband but ha- through 5G.
1: What about the homes in those rural areas where, you know, they're still struggling to get phone signal, never mind 5G? There are
2: fewer and fewer of those. You know, if there yeah. are people that cannot get signal, you know, we have 99.9% coverage. Now, there are pockets where you will mm. get, because of the topography or whatever of the land, local landscape, uh, it is going to be tricky, but... People get together, talk to us, we will put a site up there because it's in our interest to provide connectivity everywhere.
1: Yeah, there's a famous example, just to jump in briefly on this, um, the the Aaron Moore example. And I know this is a real grove that everybody, any time I talk to anyone in three, they talk about the work, they talk about how transformational it was for the people out there. And I do actually think I'd be on the other side of the fence to Gavin, which wouldn't be like us, but I would see the power that connectivity has for communities and although the ads are obviously branded and all the rest, if you strip away the brand, it is a really good example of how technology can transform somewhere that was neglected and so remote that there was the fear of it just being abandoned.
2: Absolutely. And if you talk to the people on Armore, they, you know, they had net emigration
1: mm-hmm. and
2: it all started off. But how do we change and how do we get people to migrate back to the island? But the one thing they needed was connectivity and communications, mm. which they didn't have. So we went into the schools and we made the schools smart schools with smart blackboards, etc. We set up a, an innovation hub and a community hub where people were able to communicate at very fast speeds to London or Zurich or wherever. And we had companies. But there was a guy that who was a graphic designer in uh, London decided to relocate completely back to arnmore and still run uh, and, and do his job from there. And he has done that successfully. But it's also about, you know, the fisherman going out and not having to go out to see if his lobster fodder is full, mm-hmm. but putting a SIM in there, a connectivity in there so that he can actually look at his app and say, oh, it's reached a certain level. I'll go out and bring it in now. So it's all of that. And it's made a massive difference to Aaron Moore. But there's communities like that up and down the country. Yeah. And I think COVID also helped us expedite and do things that we never thought were imaginable pre-COVID that actually became reality during COVID.
1: Mm. Is a 3G network being phased out?
2: Wow, that is a good question.
1: Thanks very much.
2: (laughs) Um, I'm sure over time around the world, 3G is being phased out because less and less people are using 3G Mm. because they've moved to 4G or 5G. But, you know, we would still have a cohort of customers that are on 3G and we'll make sure they're looked after. But it's nothing immediate. uh, There's nothing in the immediate future that we're looking at here. Mm
4: -hmm. Allow me to return to the topic of 5G potentially at my own (laughs) risk. Obviously, there are areas where it does have good uses. And, you know, you mentioned some of them, but I suppose what I'm getting at is Joe and Jane Soap who are out there on their phones and they have 4G already and that's perfectly adequate. I mean, are they coming, banging down the doors on the three stores saying, God, I don't have 5G on my phone, I really wish I did? Well, I mean, there's a, there's some
2: people out there who do want to be trendsetters and do want 5G, but most all pretty much all the new phones now are 5G phones, so it will be enabled on their phones, so they will get used to the extra speeds. But as I say, 5G will enable other things other than just people talking to each other or downloading stuff from the internet. It's about the communication devices that they may have in their house that they will want to um, put into an app for themselves. So it's about lifestyle products that are available through our stores. So whether it is security cameras or smart homes, or whether it is pet collars, that's where they start to see the benefit of 5G because the speed at which things are communicated makes it possible uh, to talk about things like driverless cars because your latency is so low. Gaming is another area where 5G plays a huge role because of the uh, low latency that's required mm-hmm. in terms of interacting mm-hmm. with the game. People want 5G and they want that instant interactivity.
4: They're niche enough areas, though. I mean, I, I
2: a probably... gaming,
1: Gavin, come on now. Gaming is niche. Gaming is not niche. There is no way in think, hell. like way in, you can argue uh, over no, yourselves. <laughs> I mean, you know. <laughs> no, gaming is not niche. Let's just get that on the record. Continue.
4: Okay, well, okay. Whether, whether it's niche or it isn't, I, I'm, I'm just interested because uh, these stats that say we have only 500,000 plans here, which I think is, is pretty low for how long it's been around, a lot of them are probably people just upgrading to 5G without even realising or, uh, you know, asking Kevin, possibly 12, for it. In
2: 12 months' time, those stats will have... Um, changed exponentially. I guarantee you that. Um, because more and more people are, are, are either upgrading
4: or to become available to more people. How has the cost of living crisis affected you? Or is it too early to say?
2: I think it's too early to say. Clearly we're monitoring it. Um, but you know, we have, we, we pride ourselves on being uh, affordable um, to people. So in terms of the tariffs that we have, we're always good value, whether it's offering all you can eat, etc, etc. So we have taken a small price increase of 4.5% this year. Um, but given the so, challenges, what does
4: that mean, sir? You, you've taken a well, we've we're we you're passing people, that on to people. We're passing that on four and a half yeah.
2: so as people upgrade. But given the challenges that we have in our business, for example, the amount of energy that we use to power our data centers, yeah. to power our network, uh, all the sites around the country, we're seeing massive increases in costs. As uh, you know, in our business, we're absorbing the majority of those, um, and you know, passing on the uh, what we feel, you know, is appropriate.
4: And do you expect at a time like this you might see a shift away from contracts towards prepaid plans or what do you think?
2: I don't, I know, because as as I say, we believe our plans are affordable. So in a lot of cases, you know, these increases are very small relative to what people are going to see in their oil bills or their energy Mm -hmm. bills or their gas bills. It's nothing like that. Um, And I think people do want to stay communicated. Uh, And I think this is where you will start to see the move to 5G, home broadband, because it is more affordable. And I would encourage people to look at alternatives that are out there and switch because you'll get very fast speeds at more affordable prices. How did you get on during COVID? What was the impact of that on you guys? Well, if somebody had said to me 2 months before the pandemic or the lockdown happened <clears throat> that everybody will be running will be working from home and everybody will be running their businesses from home uh, seamlessly or almost seamlessly, I would have said I would have I would have doubted it. A bit like you with 5G. <laughs> um I wouldn't have been a strong doubter, but I would have doubted it. But actually when we look at what actually how the network held up during that period, it was phenomenal. So we saw a shift from usage in the urban areas as people were in offices et cetera, to remote areas, so people worked from home. So our network stood up extremely well. Then there was an increase in demand at that point as well. Yeah, and in actual fact, the big spikes that we saw in demand were during announcements, like when Leo Verrecchio, the t at the time, was in New York mm-hmm. making that uh, announcement on the, you know, from uh, was it uh, sorry, it was Washington, I believe, um, massive uh, speaking uh, peak in demand. Um, but we were able to manage all of that, and I think what it did prove, uh, show to us was that. And it showed, actually, I think, to the government and other bodies as well, if they didn't know it already, that mobile communication infrastructure is critical infrastructure. You know, in a pandemic, in any natural disaster, the one thing people want to do is communicate. They want to access the network. They want to find out what's going on, access the internet, et cetera. So I'm delighted to say that we were able to um, meet the demands of our customers, and we enabled to we were able to enable the economy to keep going. And I know that's a big statement, but without communications, people would not have been able to run their businesses mm-hmm. from home. So we paid a major part in that.
4: Undoubtedly, it's going to continue to grow. I suppose this demand for, for connectivity, uh, as we look forward, COVID certainly was a big spike. It may have come back a bit since then, uh, as people go back to the office. But maybe you could talk to us a bit about your investment plans. I don't know over the next ten, twenty years. I mean, what kind of scale of investment do you think is going to be needed? So that the network continues to hold up against what's well, being demanded. Well,
2: every year we're, we're investing hundreds of millions in our network. You know, we've invested well over two billion um, in terms of the network uh, you know, over the last number of years. And we're continuing to invest and we're investing in new technology. So we have the biggest 5G network in the country, 86% population coverage. We're getting awards for being the fastest in the country as well uh, for 5G and 4G um, So and, and the best network awards. So we're, if we weren't investing in our network, and in our people and in our contact centre, we wouldn't be winning these accolades and we wouldn't be market leader because we're delighted to be 40% market share, but our customers put us there and we can't be complacent about that. We must continue to meet their demands and their expectations and hopefully exceed them at times as well.
1: I I want to pick up on something you literally just mentioned there about the customers and 3 is one of the networks above everyone else in Ireland I think that jumps out in my head in terms of these rewards and the perks and you know the three plus lounge and the three arena and we now have uh, you know three above theatres we've had it on jerseys over the years there seems to be more to the brand than just the the, the telecommunication side of things it does seem to want to put a stamp on Ireland and give back to the consumers Is that just a marketing ploy to get people to sign up or is there something more to it in terms of giving back to the community that supports you?
2: Absolutely. It's giving back to our customers, um, you know, and ensuring. Well, it's also increasing our brand awareness and consideration. Um, You know, the Three Arena is a fabulous uh, asset for us. Um, Three Olympia now as well. Mm -hmm. Electric Picnic, where we're heavily involved and a lot of other festivals across the country. Um, And it is part of giving back. So it's saying, look, you're a customer of ours. We have these relationships and we want to reward you by getting access to ticketing uh, access early, earlier than anybody else or coming into the three lounge and having a better experience. And it's all about building that um, empathy with the customer Mm. um, so that and meeting the customer needs in that regard.
1: Yeah. Um, Earlier this year, I was talking to the head of one of the digital mobile networks and he was saying that they're customer service offering basically is so scraped back. You go onto the website, if you have a problem, you engage with the chat facility and nine times out of ten, the problem gets resolved there and then and we all move on and have a good day. We know historically some telecommunications companies have struggled with customer support, customer service, customer satisfaction. How much... Not
2: three, I hasten to add, but carry on. Listen,
1: good clarification, well caught. But uh, I suppose how much emphasis is placed and do you still acknowledge and invest in that side of the business or do you take learnings from these other digital networks that do it with a chat service and think, jeez, maybe we're wasting a lot of money here?
2: No, we, we, we invest in our contact centre, our award-winning contact centre in Limerick and not just award-winning in terms of telecommunications but across the whole of the contact centres in Ireland. So up against very stiff competition. Mm. Now we clearly have a self-serve um Application yeah. as well. So, people, some people do want to go on and self, um, self uh, serve mm-hmm. uh, or listen to the communities or whatever and resolve an issue. And, you know, if, if you can resolve an issue yourself, it gives you actually a great deal of self satisfaction. Oh, I, I was able to sort that out. But we have, you know, 600 agents in Limerick. Uh, we invest heavily in the area. We've just added more people in there. We recently announced. Um, extra jobs down there in Limerick uh, for our contact centre. And it's really, really important to us because people will want to talk to people at the end of the day and resolve an issue. And that's why, you know, we have the lowest complaint levels in the industry. We do not take that for granted. We must continually invest in those areas. So investing in our contact centre in Limerick is really, really important to us. Sorry, our award winning contact centre in
1: Limerick. I think you've mentioned that three times now, just to make sure that we all know. And, and look, it is a great achievement because as someone who's had issues with, uh, you know, networks in the past, there's nothing worse than being on hold for hours on end, pressing four, pressing five and still not getting your issue resolved. So it's a pain in the face when new phones come out. So, you know, in the coming weeks now, we're going to have a new iPhone. A few weeks ago, we got the foldable Samsungs. There's a lot of buzz from people like me who are very, very excited about it all. Does that echo the sentiment from the consumer or are consumers being more savvy when it comes to what they're buying? I
2: think when the 14 comes out, you'll you'll see the early adopters wanting to have the Mm -hmm. latest technology, wanting to have the latest phone. But it's becoming less and less because clearly people who have, you know, an iPhone 13 or whatever or the latest Samsung Fold, some of the older ones, they'll say, well, actually, I'm perfectly happy with this and I'll wait for my contract to be upgraded, etc. So I think, but there still is obviously an excitement around it. But the degree of excitement is probably becoming less and less.
4: Mm -hmm. Can I ask you about your stores and, and what you think the future of them might be? Because there's a lot of question marks about bricks and mortar retail Where's it all going? So where do you come down on on that side? Well, it's actually interesting
2: because during COVID, clearly our stores were closed um, during the lockdown periods. And so people did shop online, um, et cetera, et cetera. But since the opening up again of the high street, where we're seeing, we're not quite back at pre-COVID levels yet in terms of footfall. But the stores are now playing a really important role in terms of people interacting with the product. So it's all very well to see a product online. But if you look at the return levels for products online, not necessarily in the mobile industry, mm. but in other industries mm-hmm. which sky high because it didn't quite meet the aspiration of what they saw. Yeah, I was so- only
4: looking at Next, a fashion retailer, 40... 1% or 2%. Uh, mind-boggling.
2: Absolutely. yeah, yeah. And imagine the cost um, and sustainability yeah. issues around all yeah. of that. So people going into a store, particularly with the price of handsets, and looking at it and saying, yeah, I like this, or I like the, you know, the, the format of it, or whatever, the touch and feel, that's really important. Now, you'll also have noticed, Gavin, that our, our stores have evolved to more lifestyle stores. So mm-hmm. we have an awful lot more products on display, which is about 5G and the connectivity of things. So whether it's if you're interested in photography, we'll have a camera that, uh, you know, you can... Um, you link in with your phone. Um, take shots, upload onto the cloud, etc. So there's always something yeah. in there for everybody. It's
4: about eighteen months or so. <coughs> you've, you've since you you've done that. how has it been going so really far? Really well,
2: really well. Now, clearly during the lockdown. The rollout was slow. You know, we couldn't access our stores mm. and we couldn't get materials. Um, but now, um, well over half our stores are now upgraded and we see that continuing right through to the end of this year and into next year.
4: So you don't anticipate that you, in 10 years' time, will have fewer bricks and mortar no, stores? No, I don't. And, you know,
2: there's a lot of debate
4: about it. No, you never say never, but yeah. the
2: stores play a really important part in our interaction with our customers and we would look to see that continue.
4: I, I, I wanted to ask uh, about the business to business side of the of your company. So could you just give us an idea? Was, um... Toward what the revenue split would be between the consumer side of things and the business to business Well, we side. don't
2: disclose that so clearly I can't tell you this revenue split but it's a really important aspect of our business and we have about 40% share of the business to business market in Ireland so it's very, very high and we have, you know, some big corporations uh, that are in there uh, whether it's Glambia, LinkedIn, Facebook, etc. We have, you know, KPMG, we have the Central Bank, we have the President's Office, we have a lot of governments, etc. So we're massive right across the board here and actually interesting I was speaking to a lot of uh, CEOs in the business world in the corporate world during COVID about the service where we're meeting their needs and uh, they were all very complimentary on how we were able to meet their needs and keep their yeah. businesses and going. And just to
4: be clear the kinds of things you're doing is basically to use the jargon you're enabling their connectivity you're managing their, absolutely. Their, their stuff for them. Yeah
2: absolutely whether it is on the mobile side whether it is in terms of their uh, communications, uh, other communications packages. Itself.
4: And what are the big trends and, and opportunities potentially that you see there as you look forward over the next five or ten well, years? Well, I think
2: as well, clearly connectivity is really important. So in ensuring that if you're running a business that you have connectivity and so resilience is really important for them. Um, how you serve them as a customer as well is really important. So the care that you give uh, to a business, for example, if someone's handset is not working and they need to make a call or whatever, that we're able to respond immediately, and it's you know it's down to the handset or whatever. But having that account management is really really important. Um, security around your handset as well, ensuring that we're providing security. They're bigger all the time, I imagine. Bigger all the time, and security around the network overall. So ensuring that uh, attacks on networks are um, rebuffed continuously. Um, And ensuring that, as I say, corporations are protected in that regard.
1: That was Robert Finnegan, CEO of Three Ireland, speaking to me, and Gavin McLaughlin here on News Talk. Now, when we come back, we're going to talk about a new website that gives guidance on buying an EV.
0: Tech Talk on News Talk
1: with VMware. Free your employees to work more securely from anywhere. Visit
0: exertis.ie forward slash VMware.
1: Welcome back to Tech Talk. This is Jess Kelly with you here on Tech uh, TechTalk at Newstalk.com is the email if you want to get in touch or you'll find me on Twitter at JessKellyNT. And it is now time for our monthly EV chat with Derek Riley of Nevo.ie. Derek, welcome back to Tech Talk. Uh, for the eagle-eared listeners, they will notice that I didn't mention the EV Review Ireland YouTube channel, which um, is an extension of your surname, I'm pretty sure. Um, tell us a little bit about Nevo.ie and your involvement in it.
0: Yeah, I think the my passion project of the YouTube channel has led me to Nevo.ie and I'm the general manager there and it's because it's all things EV and I am all things EV, I think if you cut me now at this stage, it'll be electricity that comes out of me, not blood. <laughs> but um, so Connor and Shane, the founders, said, let's have a conversation, see if you're interested. And I came on board with them last November and then we launched the site a couple of weeks ago.
1: And what's the the focus and the function of the site?
0: Really, it's about educating people as to what's in the marketplace at the moment, what you need to know when you're going to purchase an electric or an electrified vehicle, uh, range anxiety, which I don't like talking about, but the media does. And so we've got a nice journey planner in there. So it's kind of a one stop shop for people who are thinking about, you know what, the next car we're going to buy is an electric car and that might be next month, next year, in three years' time at the end of their PCP. And Nevo will be that space where they go back to when they hear something down the pub and they go back to Nevo and then do the actual research there because there's a lot of, I won't say misinformation out there, but just different um, viewpoints on different topics. And what we try to be is the, the, a source of truth about the whole thing.
1: Okay, so this is essentially a research hub I assume you're not pushing or endorsing one brand over another. It's about electric vehicles rather than this brand of electric vehicle.
0: Correct, yeah. So it's all the electric cars that are available on the island of Ireland, uh, sorry, in the Republic of Ireland. And then we just launched electric vans as well, because again, some people that are looking to change their business to be more uh, carbon neutral, etc., might be looking at electric vans. So it's a site where you can go and select whatever brand it is, whatever model, and then you might go, okay, this is my budget. I wonder what else is in the marketplace for that? Because when we were doing the research on this site, we found that a lot of people didn't realise that A or B brand had an electrified or an electric vehicle within their price budget or within their range budget. Uh, And so there's lots of criteria there you can select vehicles from and then you can compare your top two, one, two, three or four different vehicles to see which has the bigger boot or uh, which has the bigger range, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, it's definitely not a single brand. It's all the brands. It's brand agnostic.
1: Okay, well, that is good to know. Um, Over the last few years, we've, I suppose, done... versions of this, mini versions of this, where we try and bust bust myths and, you know, talk through different elements of buying an EV and give people clear and concise information. Um, There are more EVs available. And I mean, in theory, because I know that there are supply issues at the moment, but there are more, there's a a wider selection of EV today than there ever had been before. And when it comes to Nevo and displaying this information, How do you go about trying to point people in the right direction? Is it, you know, are you a family with, you know, 2.4 children and a dog or are you in a city? Like, how do you try and whittle through the different criteria to give people the best uh, information possible?
0: It's a great question. And really, it's a comparison site where you can go on and select the pre-qualifiers. So it could be a certain make manufacturer that you've always gone with and you wanted to see what was there. Uh, usually it boils down to when we're looking at the research as to when people come to the site, a lot of it is they choose a certain price bracket. Um, and at the moment, it's the retail price. We are going to be working with a leasing partner, so it might be what's the lease price on this. And so usually it's what's my what does my budget allow me? And then you can start to see uh, what's in the marketplace um, price-wise, And then it could be okay we need a bit of range or people think they need a bit of range like we've already talked about over the last number of years they think they need that massive range so again with the learn section on the website it's very much about understanding what battery do i need for the majority of the time rather than that one or twice a year where i go down to my holiday home in mayo or kerry or wherever that may be and getting a battery just for those larger journeys Mm. Uh, that's not the most sustainable way of purchasing an electric vehicle
1: Let's talk on that price point, right? If that is something that people, if that's the main driver for people, excuse the point, when they come to the website or when they're researching an EV, what is the price bracket for an electric vehicle? And there's this, this notion that, you know, you have to spend huge money to get an electric vehicle. Is that the case or what's the sort of starting point here?
0: The starting price for an electric vehicle in Ireland at the moment the prize is being held by the little fiat 500e and that's starting at just underneath 25,000 euros for the shorter range battery and then you've got uh, plug-in hybrids which we list on Evo as well because some people don't want to make that full jump to full electric vehicles but going all the way up to over 100,000 euros so very much we're working on a piece of work for next week which is world ev day on the 9th of september and we're going to be releasing a price index to talk about okay the top 10 selling electric vehicles in ireland what's the average price across those 10 selling vehicles and you'll be actually very surprised just as to what the average price is and how little there is between that and the regular combustion engine vehicle so as you say people think electric vehicles are very expensive think they have to get the bigger batteries and so what Nevo is all about is that education piece and making people aware of exactly what's in the marketplace.
1: Yeah, and when it comes to the the, the range and so on, um, Andrea Gilligan of Lunchtime Live was talking recently. She didn't have range anxiety when she was test driving an EV, a BMW EV. She had uh, charger anxiety because the chargers, unfortunately, where she was going weren't available, which is a bit of a pain in the face. But in terms of working out your range, just tell me what the equation is or what do you do on the back of the piece of paper to try and figure out what kind of range or what battery size you would need to get your day-to-day living? Because obviously we're all going to have those exceptional journeys. But in terms of day-to-day, what's the way to work out what range you'd cover?
0: Literally as simple as working out, okay, what's it, sitting into your car in the morning, looking at the speedometer, the the mileage gauge on it, or the kilometer on it, and then at the end of the day, before you set up, get out of the car, writing down what the actual the number is at the end of the day, and very simply working out, okay, today we drove 25 kilometers, and then tomorrow we drove 38 kilometers, and the day afterwards we drove 22 kilometers. And then having that ongoing rolling uh, record of what we've done over the last week, month, Three months, whatever that may be. And very quickly you'll start to see what the average on a daily basis is. If you the ability to charge at home, have I got the ability to charge at work? And so starting to be conscious about where you're going to charge so that when you whatever battery size you do go for, you know that you know what, with my car, I'll be able to charge once a week at the house or i also have the ability to charge in the office at work and a lot of a lot of businesses now are using this as because there's a a shortage of really good candidates out there so when people are advertising jobs now one of the things that they're starting to talk about is we also offer ev charging at work and so you'd be surprised how little it takes to sway somebody to go from job a to job b and i was on with andrea when she was having those road trips and i believe she's still having them And so with Nevo, we're also looking at that charging space. So we're working with partners with domestic home chargers. We're looking at office blocks that are looking at putting chargers for their employees or for apartment complexes. But the big thing we're looking at as well, Jess, is public charging. Mm -hmm. And like Andrea, and I know the county that she was in, she was going and it was a slow charger or it was a charger on its own. What What we're really looking at is, let's put in these hubs of four six or eight chargers so it's a huge investment but we have thankfully investors within Nevo that are happy to put the money up front to put these chargers in the ground and so that we can have more of these hubs around the country high powered so whether you're traveling across the country or whether you're living in an apartment complex you have the ability to know that you know what I'll go there because there's four or six chargers it's very unlikely that all four are going to be busy
1: When you're going around, like interacting with the investors or, you know, different interest groups in this, is the appetite there across the board to deliver this? The appetite is
0: there for sure. We have destinations like hotels and supermarkets that want to put in fast chargers. Some of the roadblocks that are there are the connection to the grid is there enough supply in the area? And so what we've done with Nevo as well is we've sourced really good hardware, but also if there isn't enough supply in the area. So Jess owns a hotel in Atlone and she wants to put in a fast charger because she wants to attract people to her hotel. And we go along and we check and we do an installation. Um, we do a, a site inspection and we find out that Jess's hotel hasn't got the connection to the grid that would be required. But what we have now is the battery buffer technology where it would sit over at the side of the car park and it would charge up on an overnight rate or a nice slow intake of power. And then when Jess's customer comes along to charge their car fast, it will dump out the energy and then the car goes away because you're not going to have car after car after car. The charger, the battery charger has the ability to top itself up on a slower rate so that you as the property owner don't have to engage with esb networks to upgrade the grid put in a substation etc etc so it's amazing to start to see all the solutions that are out there for business owners for people that are and the appetite is there from some charge point operators like ourselves to in these larger hubs so if you go to the uk or go on the continent you'll see these hubs popping up some charge point operators would only prefer to put in one and two here there and get a kind of a blanket coverage whereas what we're finding when we're talking to ev drivers are at these pinch points they'd really like to put in a larger hub of chargers so that they're confident we'll stop there for something to eat because we know there's going to be multiple chargers there. So all of the stakeholders within this space, be that the Department of Transport, local authorities, business owners, etc everybody's excited about it. We uh, just have to make sure that we do it right so that we're future-proofing ourselves. And there's a huge thing at the moment, Jess, where tap to pay is a big thing that people are looking for Mm -hmm. so that they don't have to download an app they don't have to have an RFID card or a fob etc so all of our chargers will have tap to pay but also when we're planning out these charging bays that they're accessible to everybody whether you're in a wheelchair whether you're uh, of slight build you can't be dragging this massive cable over the bonnet and trying to plug it into your car we're really looking at making sure that people feel safe with the lighting CCTV and so all of these things that you may not be thinking about when I say to you there now, Jess, I'm hoping you're thinking, you know what, that makes sense when you speak about it Mm. and we're just not speaking about it at the moment.
1: Yeah. One of the things that we spoke about uh, a number of years ago or maybe it was months ago, I don't know, time has just disappeared from my brain, but it was in relation to um, trucks, like EV trucks charging on ferries, for example, you know, having those kind of car spaces that kind of like a wireless charger for your phone, but EVs, How far away is that? Because that would surely alleviate some of those instances that you've just outlined with with chargers, you know, for people who who may have accessibility issues or just aren't physically strong enough to drag the cable around the car.
0: Yep. Great question. And for sure, there are like it's already been trialed in in the Scandinavian countries where buses and taxis who are constantly on the road and are stopped at a rank or at a bus stop. You have the ability to put that charging pad in the ground and it's about 93, 94 percent efficient to charging it with a cable. So the technology is definitely out there. The appetite for that and the initial investment might be, we have to look at that return on the investment and whether the demand is there for it. What you would need to do is make sure that the buses that you're planning on charging or the taxis are retrofitted with a charging pad underneath Then as well. So it's not like you just stick wireless charging uh, stations around the place. You also have to make sure that the vehicles that you're hoping to charge have the ability to take that charge. So there's a bit of uh, more than one or two parties working together to get that um, connection and get that, but definitely, technology is there. Another thing that we come across a lot, Jess, is when people haven't got off-street parking, they'd like to be able to maybe plug into their Mm streetlight, or there are pop-up bollards that you can get that sit flat on the ground. You go into your app, and then you activate it, and it pops up out of the ground. You plug in your charger. So you could have these along a footpath on a street, And when they're not in use, they're not blocking anybody, they're not in anybody's way. And then when they're needed, they pop up out of the ground, you plug in your car, you charge overnight, and then the following morning, it goes back down into the ground as well. So there's lots of different technology that's happening out there. And there's so much things that we have to consider as a charge point operator, as Nevo, but just also local authorities and businesses as to, if I put this in now, will it be relevant for five years or 10 years down the line? And we just have to be conscious of that as well.
1: Yeah, I think that's something that is you know, uh, in people's minds more and more because we've seen a hell of a lot of technology stepping away from motoring for a second. A hell of a lot of technology come out of the traps over the last 15 years or so. And now when you look back to things like, you know, the first iPhone or iPods or CD players, we kind of laugh at how outdated they are only a few years down the line. And I think when it comes to physical infrastructure, that's quite expensive. We do need to ensure that it's as future-proof as possible so that we're not, you know, doing something to try and be greener, but actually creating a hell of a lot more mess and impact on the environment because we have to redo it every five years, you know?
0: Absolutely. And what we're finding is manufacturers are getting into the space as well. So there's a new ISO standard coming out. It's called Plug and Charge. So as your Tesla listeners will know about this, a Tesla Because it's charging on its own network, the network knows the car, the car knows the network, and everybody knows who's the owner and has your payment on file. So you can literally rock up with your Tesla at a Tesla supercharger, plug in, and walk away, and it does all the talking to itself and it does all the charging. Bit more difficult when you've got multiple different brands and multiple different types of charging hardware. So again, what we've sourced are the the hardware that's going to have the ability to do this ISO plug and charge capability. So when your Volkswagen ID4 pulls up, Volkswagen have your payment details built into the car. And when you plug it in, it understands, okay, this is Jess's ID4. She's got payment terms already attached to the account. We'll just start charging. We don't have to tap a card. We don't have to top of fob all of these things and so that's we're looking at that's the future because mm-hmm. people just don't want the convenience of have to standing outside fodder, messing around with fobs or apps or all the rest of it it's the convenience to the end user it's the availability of these chargers and as we see more and more of them around the place it just becomes the norm
1: yeah it makes a lot of sense um just tell me a little bit more about the business side of nevo how do you guys make money and and what's the ultimate goal with the business
0: yeah, so we're working with manufacturers so that when they put their when we have our their makes and models on the site, uh, they're paying to list on the website, but also then we direct test drive leads back to their dealerships. And we're finding this great because some manufacturers they're spending a lot of money on manu- on advertising. but if you are a diehard, uh, buyer of a certain brand all of your life, you may not be aware of the other brands out there in the marketplace. So a lot of brands are really liking that. A lot of them would like the traffic going direct to their own site as well. But what we find is the fact that you could compare one brand against another brand, one model against another model. And so there's the commercial aspect of that of working with manufacturers. And then also we have the uh, partnerships that we're about to announce over the coming weeks. So we're going to be partnering with leasing partner. And again, we're going to be working with a sole a sole leasing partner, We're working with an insurance broker, we're working with an energy provider. So there are commercial sections in that as well that we're working with them on because we really want to select best in class. And then obviously there's the Nevo charging side of things where we're working with um, offices or apartment complexes or hotels or destination chargers or property owners that want to facilitate the charging on their property. And we can work with them then on a profit share scheme where we actually take all the upfront cost put the hardware in the ground, put the back office system in place. So if you're a hotel owner or a golf club or whatever that may be, you might be going, we need to get EV chargers in. What Nevo Charging will do is actually put it in the ground for you at no cost to you up front, and then we work out a profit share model then at the end of it all.
1: Hmm, interesting stuff. Well, look, the website is nevo.ie. It's N-E-V-O dot I-E. And obviously, Derek will be back with us in a few weeks time to review yet another EV. So if you do have any questions, you can email techtalk at newstalk.com or you can now swing on over to nevo.ie. And I'm sure that there are plenty of answers to all your questions there as well. Uh, Derek, thank you so much for joining us here on Newstalk. Thanks, Jess. Coming up next year on Newstalk, we're going to hear how Heineken is going even greener at this year's EP.
0: Tech Talk on News Talk. With VMware. Free your employees to work more securely from anywhere visit exertis.ie forward slash VMware
1: Yeah this is Tech Talk with Jess Kelly here on News Talk and coming up on News Talk at 6pm is John Fardy uh, John what do you have on this week's Screen Time?
3: Hugh Bonneville and Kelly MacDonald great English and Scottish actors respectively on their new Netflix show I Came By Hugh Bonneville is just this he's like a warm uncle you want to put your arm? He's like
1: him. a teddy bear yeah. he? he's another one of those guests that is always great on Graham Norton I wouldn't think and that I'd like And on Screen like... Time he's Obviously. also great on Screen Time
3: second time this year but I'm Anyway.
1: But he is lovely. He just seems yeah. like a good egg.
3: Oh, he really is. And you funny you mentioned Teddy Bear because he's the dad in Paddington as well.
1: That's it. Yeah.
3: And what I also want to mention is we are reviewing the Michael Flatley movie Blackbird. And all I can say is.
1: <sighs> okay. We, I will be tuned in specifically Man. for that. Man, woman. It's... You look like you've aged a bit this yeah, week. I have. Uh, I want to tell you a little bit about. Um, so last week on the show, we spoke to Fraser Sterling, who is the head of product design at Sky. Yes. He's the guy behind Sky Glass. Have you seen Sky Glass yet?
3: I've, I, I've yet to, I know about it, but I've yet to integrate with it. And I will, because it does look pretty amazing.
1: It, it is, like it's great. And I've kind of wax lyrical about it for quite a few weeks, so I'm not going to do that now. But what I've realised is... I haven't seen that many movies or TV shows. It's only when because the big thing with Sky Glass is that it aggregates the content, yes. right? So you can go into like uh, action movies and yeah. it pulls in movies from every single streaming service and TV uh, live TV outputy thing. I'd say I've seen about 0.3% of all the movies that have ever existed. And now we have this amazing screen. I want to tap into it a bit yeah. more.
3: Well, don't feel too bad because there has been a traffic jam because of the pandemic. Mm. And there are so many movies released in the last six to nine months that I've even forgotten ones that I've seen. There's a lot on at the moment. So don't beat yourself up.
1: Okay, I won't. Uh, John Fardy, thank you so much. Thank you. All right, moving right along. Uh, Ronan McCormack is the marketing manager at Heineken Ireland and Heineken is one of the brands present at this year's Electric Picnic. And what's really interesting is they've made huge efforts to go even greener. Uh, Ronan, you're very welcome to the show. Can you just give us a bit of an insight into uh, the brand's partnership and history indeed with Electric Picnic?
5: Yeah, hi, Jess, uh, great to speak with you. Uh, I think, I suppose, the, traditionally, what we would have done at Electric Picnic uh, was very much a, a music-first offering. So it was generally our Live Your Music platform, which was a big kind of production, a big stage, um, and primarily led by kind of local and international artists uh, running across the weekend. So it was very much a, a music-first-led um, and approach for the last kind of five or six years. I suppose what we're doing differently this time, Um, as you said, it's been three years since we've had Electric Picnic. Um, Delighted to be back um, with our partners, Live Nation. I suppose what we're doing differently this year is that, as well as the the music um, that people would come to expect and love about the Heineken area, we're very much leading with a message um, around sustainability. Um, And we're delighted to bring to Ireland for the first time that the Heineken Greener Bar, which is something very, very different for us uh, compared to things we've done in the past.
1: So what makes it greener and what efforts did your team have to go to to try and pull this off? Because it's one thing to kind of have this ambition, it's another to make it come to pass.
5: Yeah, so it's been very different. It's been very exciting uh, for us, Jess. There's been a lot of learning uh, and unlearning involved. Um, So look, the ambition has been to try and make the area um, as sustainable as possible. And I suppose there's a few key things we've done. Firstly, from an energy point of view, we're using 60% less energy than we would have in previous years at Electric Picnic. And we've been able to do that through a number of different things namely the use of bio generators we have a smart power plan in place so we're able to flex our power requirements based on the time of day and what's going on in the area Uh, and we also have kind of a lot more kind of ecologically friendly um, lighting and digital screens as well so that's what we've been able to do from an energy point of view from a waste point of view just by the very nature of the design we've been able to save almost 10,000 kilograms of plastic Um, at the site, so that's the equivalent of about a daily waste of 11,000 Irish people. So that's a a really good uh, progress from us from where we would have been in the past. And from an emissions point of view, through what we've done from a waste and energy point of view, we've been able to reduce our emissions to the equivalent of about what will be 4,600 homes um, from an electricity point of view um, domestically. So again, that's a really impressive thing for us to be able to do. There are things we've done. Um, we're having reusable cups in our area, so 20,000 reusable cups, as opposed to single use plastic that we would have had in the past. Um, we have circular design uh, running through the whole site, so everything has had a life in the past or will have a life again in the future. So whether that's wood, the use of salvage materials, the use of shipping containers that we've used now for the last five or six festivals. All of our uniforms are zero waste, and so they're made by, you know, a mix of organic cotton and polyester, um, as opposed to having international artists flying in and out over the course of the weekend, we prioritize just local artists, so again, reducing our emissions there. Um, And we're also using a a roof that we've used five or six times in the past. Not only does that keep people dry um, and the weather forecast isn't too good at the moment. Hopefully the sun shines, keeps people dry and also collects the grey water, which in turn we can use to kind of the water, the the foliage and plants and site and that as well. And then there's other things in terms of the basic artwork and materials that we've used on the menus to wristbands have all been produced and with sustainability in mind.
1: It sounds Brilliant. And it also just sounds so simple. You know, it's it's small changes that make a big huge difference. I'm wondering from a Heineken point of view though, is it expensive to make these shifts and to go from, you know, single use plastic to the reusable and even the uniforms? Like does it cost you guys money to do this?
5: Yeah, it does. Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, in terms of the the, the cost of reusable cups and that relative to a single use plastic, they are more expensive. There's a lot more to it in terms of the washing, the storage of cups, making sure that they're, you know, absolutely up to you know the, the standards people would expect uh, when they're drinking our beer out festival likewise our, our uniforms and that so it does come up at, it does come at a cost uh relative to the things we would have done in the past but look we, we feel it's, it's the right thing to do i think there's an expectation uh, on brands like heineken to, to step up in this um area there's more we can do we're on a journey we're absolutely not best in class at this yet Um, But we're really keen to try and learn um, and develop and progress in this space over the coming years.
1: When you're using the uh, reusable cups instead of the single-use plastic, do you find that consumers do reuse them or do they still end up on the ground? Because that is one thing that I noticed at festivals over the years, regardless of what brand it was, You know, there would be cups that you could use more than once and they'd still end up sort of disregarded on the ground is that something that still happens or does do, do consumer habits change
5: it, it does happen a little bit yes in fairness but i think you know habits have changed i think behaviors have changed and i mean we've been trialing reusable cups now at a number of events across music uh, and indeed rugby uh, and we find the more and more we use them the more and more we educate people as to the benefits um, of them, we find that kind of um, you know discarding of cups happening less and less. So there's still an element of it, but I think with with education and um, and as a real consumer will to be, I suppose, proactive and responsible in this space, we're we're seeing that less and less.
1: Uh, the other thing I'm always intrigued by, uh, when I go to a festival and I see the staff working so hard behind bars, is the level that they are turning the products out and. The I suppose the communication between the bar staff, the till staff and then the consumer, it is a serious operation. Does tech help with that at all or does it come back to old school, you know, shouting across the bar?
5: No, tech definitely helps. And I mean, we would have uh, multi-dispense units, which allows us kind of uh, pour beer to a really high quality, but at speed. So as opposed to dispensing from a, from a keg. So I, we have that on our, on our big bars around the site and um, the use of contactless payments. At the bars has certainly helped from a from a queuing system point of view and general ease of access as well, so I think technology definitely is is playing a part there and in credit to the to the staff on site and that they do an incredible job over. Over a long weekend and, and without them, you know we, we would be truly truly lost so I mean it's it's a testament to their passion and dedication over the course of the weekend and, and we're hugely appreciative of their of their efforts.
1: Rona McCormick, Marketing Manager at Heineken Ireland. Thank you so much for joining us here on News Talk. And that is all we have time for this week. If you missed any of the show, you can listen back in full on the News Talk app powered by GoLoud. I'll be back with Shane and Kira on Monday's News Talk breakfast. But in the meantime, enjoy the rest of your weekend.